Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 48. Man, we're approaching the big 5-0 here, the, the golden episode, but we still got a couple more to go. All right, Ben, we're back here. It's August. It's hurricane season. Sports are starting up. We got the PGA Championship this weekend. First major of the year, guys. I know. First major. I am fired up about it. What's your prediction on it? Because I don't watch golf like you do. Um, I will, Honestly, it's this weird thing where, like, Justin Thomas won last week. Um, I, I would have liked him going into this, um, but you can't help but root for Brooks Kepka. I mean, he, he won last been, year, right? Yeah, he's the defending champ, and he is a beast. When it is a major, he just finds a way. Like, he's got that Jordan-esque quality where he's not won a ton of regular just tournaments, but he is a beast when it comes to the majors. He knows when to turn it on. Yeah, I saw the interview, and it was basically titled, like, why he's so confident in himself – or why he's betting on himself, and his quote was like, last night I'm the defending champ, aren't I? (laughs) <laughs> and the guy just the interview stopped there. It was the mic drop moment of the season yeah. so far. Loved it, man. That's great. It, I, I'm excited. I'll, I I can't sit and watch four days of golf. Um, five of you include the practice rounds, but I'd like to peek in and watch a little bit here and there. And usually Sunday when Tiger's wearing his uh, Sunday red. So um, he makes it to Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> for but sure. Um, but I mean, overall sports is back and that's what I'm happy about. Although baseball has been, got all these COVID cases. The Red Sox literally look like a high school team. Um, and then you got the NFL. You got players opting out left and right. It's, it's almost like is there going to be an asterisk next to all the 2020 seasons? Thought about that too, especially with just hearing what was going on with the Stanley Cups. And I know they were released. And they, I was listening to Pittsburgh Sports Radio this morning. Is I think that's what it's going to be. And it's, yeah. it's a shame because, I mean, these guys still are going to be doing their best to compete, to hold up, to hoist that trophy at the end of the day. And I think hindsight history is going to look at this with an asterisk. Yeah. You know, what sucks about it too, is that the Buffalo bills are going to probably win the super bowl this year. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the first asterisk was going to be like, Oh, well, Tom Brady's not and um, Patriots anymore. And then the second one's going to be like, Oh, it's COVID half players weren't playing. It's like, come on. Hey, I love your faith. Give my, give my town a little bit of love. I love but. your faith. I, I love it. I, <laughs> I love the confidence. Rocking I'm almost the, uh, pulling Bills for you, even today. though I'm a Steelers fan. <laughs> hey, hey, when we beat the Steelers last year, that's the, the game that locked us into the postseason. So I'll never forget that. I think it was like week 16 or 15, something like that. Yeah. But yeah, man, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. So today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about Hurricane season because we just had that tropical storm Isaias or however you say it come through. Isaiah, Isaiah, and I was it was heading right towards me and it missed us. Sidestepped it, went up the coast. It barely rained down here in South Florida. Yeah. But yeah, big money FEMA loads, right? Yeah, that's the whole thing. So the, the kind of the two big takeaways of hurricane season is number one, you're gonna have to just like snowstorms, you're gonna have to expect some sort of disruption in the supply chain. Most of the time, it's gonna be delays, right? You can have um, driving bans, you're going to have port closures, you're going to have um, people just sitting still for maybe 48 hours while a storm passes through. And this is, this is typically the East Coast from 
Florida, all the way up to like the Carolinas, Virginia, maybe. And that's usually the most impacted area. The Gulf and West. Yeah. And the West. I mean, going over to Houston. Yep. I was going to say pretty much the whole uh, Gulf. So you got Texas, Louisiana. Beaumont all Alabama, the way around the Gulf. Mississippi, Alabama. Yep. So pretty much the whole the whole bottom south. half of the country. Yeah. yeah. Um, we've all seen the maps and the, the ways that they go. You never know where they're going to hit, right? But a big part of this is when, we, you know, in the world we live in, when you can see a storm coming a week ahead of time, people will do things in reaction to that. They could, there could be a, a surge in purchasing and shipping ahead of it. And there could also be when it does hit, you're going to have people sitting still. So you're going to have to expect rates to adjust accordingly. So if you've got loads coming up in that area, have your carriers lined up, have a conversation with your customer ahead of time. And more importantly, let's talk about FEMA loads because that, uh, that is a big opportunity for a skilled broker to be able to get in there and help out with getting um, supplies to the impacted areas when FEMA is ready to do so. So Ben, I know you've had some experience with FEMA. Give us a little bit of an idea of uh, how that all works. So the, the FEMA loads that we supported, um, when I was a broker, were directly from the government, directly from FEMA. They're typically tendered through what was, I think, the DDRT contract, which is now the DFTS contract. Crowley has that contract. Um, so the, the vast majority of them get supported through Crowley Logistics, um, but also through the SDDC and through other vendors as well. There are also FEMA loads that go through just the normal government side, not as familiar, and I, I really kind of should have had this prepared for the call, but so they go through two different places, the military and they go through the civilian side. Um, one of the most desirable aspects of these loads is the fact that a lot of them are drop trailers supporting areas that have been hit by the hurricanes. Yep. Why, why does anybody want drop trailer loads? Why are these so desirable for carriers and brokers? Because typically they sit there with a margin already baked into it because you're not going to leave a drop trailer day after some day revenue. after day after day. Day after day after day. I mean, the, the hurricane that we supported through Puerto Rico, they were shipping trailers from Houston over to Puerto Rico. There was a margin on these, you know, no matter how small or, or large it was for months. So, I mean, when you secure one of these and you're, and you're a carrier, like you can almost pay off some of your trailers over a month or two, just in the margin from it sitting there, but you're also supporting, you know, what we want to is, you know, the other people, the other citizens of our country. So, I mean, you're getting to help where help's needed, but you also get to, you know, make a little money on it. So very yeah. desirable. Well, and I'll, uh, I'll give you my, my outside experience in this. So 2011, 2012, 2012, all right, Superstorm Sandy comes through and hits New York City. Uh, National Guard, just about all New York State gets called up. Uh, I spent about a month down in the, uh, in the city area. We did assisted with like cleanup and stuff, but it was crazy to see. So both fuel and overall supplies from FEMA and the military. So they had to contract in bulk fuel to come into Floyd Bennett Field, which I think is in Brooklyn. Um, and they set up just retail fuel points, right? And this was all contracted through mm -hmm. whatever government agency yep. does that. I don't know if it was FEMA or, or SDDC, um, but it's bid on through brokers to bring all that stuff in here, right? And through asset-based companies. So uh, the other thing too was Staten Island where just stuff was ripped up, houses are leveled. They had FEMA trailer, just like, it looked like you're in a, yeah. just a yard full of 
Well, that's what it is, right? It's storage. They're temporary warehouses in a lot of these cases that store food, store ice, um, store water, store what people really need because they can't get to the grocery store. They can't get to their normal places to get goods and services. So you'll, you'll see like, yeah, like, like you said, ice, like there'll be a reefer sitting there cycling and on, and it's just, it's acting as a cold storage and there's multiple, there's a bunch of them, right? Yeah. So you're going to see trailers used for all different kinds of stuff dry storage, food. I think one of the big ones too is bottled water. Seeing that stuff just get hauled in by the truckload is, you know, it's, it's insane. Cause you gotta think the water system is, is uh, compromised and you know, Hey, either way, no one likes a disaster, but they're inevitable. They're going to happen and do your part by being a good broker and make a little bit of money while doing it. So that's my take on FEMA. Absolutely. So topic of the day, Nate, what do we have our main gonna, overarching topic? We're going to talk about the expenses associated with being a broker and how you can save a little bit on it. So big thing here is going to be for 1099 agents as well as the licensed broker who's got maybe multiple offices or, you know, a staff of people. Um, Or maybe you're just a licensed broker that works from home, but you've got associated expenses that go along with it. So um, I wrote a piece about a year or so ago. We'll, um, we'll get it posted up in the show notes. And then uh, we did an interview with Christina from, give me the name of the company again. Yeah, Schooly Mitchell. And there it what, is. Yeah, what they do a lot of is, um, well, they're a cost reduction consultant where Southwestern Consulting and what I focus on is typically the revenue, growth, operations, strategies around growing your business. They are a way to outsource the expense management side of your brokerage. Yeah, so great, great interview with her. Let's take a listen. Well, good morning. So today we're joined by special guest, Christina with Scully Mitchell. Christina, good morning and welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me, Nate. I really appreciate it. Yeah, our pleasure. Hey, so uh, you, obviously you're here to kind of hit on some of the, the elements of cost savings and maximizing and increasing that bottom line when it comes to running a business. So um, thought it'd be a great opportunity to have you on here just to kind of talk about the, the experiences that you've had and, and some of the specific ways that brokers, carriers, and companies overall can try to squeeze out the extra little bits of waste that they have in their overall cash flow. So um, tell us a little bit about, about the company that you're with, uh, what you guys do overall, and then we can have a good discussion about it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Nate. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so Schooly Mitchell is the, the largest cost reduction consultant in North America. So essentially what we do is provide Um, an objective, uh, no cost audit for businesses on their fixed cost. And the bottom line is, is we look to reduce a business's expenses. And we do it at no cost to the business upfront. If there's some reason why we can't find savings, which is rare, but if we can't find savings, there's no cost to the business. So there's really no risk whatsoever. Um, And I mean, I don't know any business that wouldn't want to increase their, their bottom line and, and cut some of those uh, fixed costs. But there's there's a lot of a lot of expenses in, in a business, and we are experts in in certain areas. Um, and that's really how we help businesses. It's really yeah. satisfying. That's good. That, and I think the one of the biggest things that Ben and I have seen throughout our tenure in the in the transportation side of the house here is when you've got a brokerage that maybe is at small to medium size or even a larger size, but they're a licensed freight brokerage uh, owner and they've got multiple employees, they've got 
brick and mortar offices, maybe multiple. Um, they may have assets as well. So they might have a trucking fleet uh, and all this stuff. So when you see that, or even a large agency where maybe they're operating under someone else's authority to save money, um, there are still a lot of fixed costs that go into running an office, whether it's payroll or if it's um, you know technology related. And a big part of it is, is going to be insurance. And a lot of people are seeing, at least from my experience with them, tend to be a little naive or not very well versed in insurance. And they just, they just trust their guy. Like I've got my insurance guy and they never shop it out. Uh, yeah, I got and they, they just kind of trust whatever that they've been doing. Right. So um, what is some of the stuff that you've seen in the past, as far as these expenses that you can save people money on? Yeah, sure. So the good part of it is we, we, we strictly work on the client's behalf. So we don't sell anything. We're not a supplier. We're not, we're not a, a broker. Um, and we, we, so we don't sell anything. So we're giving this completely objective advice. But what we've noticed in, in businesses is some, some of the larger expenses, of course, depending on the business. But if you're looking at, um, you know, freight brokerages or companies or businesses that have several locations, um, you know, their, their telecom expense can be pretty high. And that's not just your normal landlines. We're talking about uh, mobile phones, uh, GPS tracking devices, you know, kind of fleet tracking, um, e-signing if they're using that type of thing. Mm, uh, waste a is one. a big expense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, waste is a, is a huge expense. I just saved a, another company 43% um, on their waste removal. I mean, that's trash. I saved them 43% on their trash. I almost cut the bill in half. And, and by the way, and it was with the same company. It's just because we, we have um, a database of over 22,000 clients throughout the U.S. and Canada. So as you know, data is, is king and, and it provides us a lot of information. So we know what every competitor is paying for these fixed costs. So when we go in, um, we, we know what we can negotiate to, but we also know every discount available with every vendor out there um, in, in, our ex, in our area of expertise. And it allows us to uh, negotiate better. Um, and the, one of the other areas is uh, merchant services, so credit card processing. Those fees, there are over 600 different interchange fees. Most businesses don't know if they're, you know, paying the right fees or in the right type of, um, uh, if they're optimized properly with their credit card processing fees. I just saved another company 38% on their merchant fees and they never changed vendors. So there's a lot, there's a lot of room to, to save companies uh, money and, and increase their bottom line. Yeah. And that, so merchant fees brings up a good point. And Ben, I'm sure you've seen this in the past too. If you get a customer that may not be, um, they may not be granted a credit line from the brokerage, right? You're yep. going to say, well, we can do you on prepay, whether it's ACH credit card, whatever. And, and typically credit card is the path of least resistance. But a lot of times people are, they're biting, you know, they're having to eat like three, 4% off their revenue. Just and that eats up. Yep. And that's off just, gross too, right? That's not <laughs> off net. That's not off what they're taking home. They lose that off the top line. It's a big number. Yeah. I've had, um, you know, and if you're dealing with thin margin as it is, so let's just say, for example, you've got a customer that is only operating at a 10% margin and then you're giving up 3% for, or let's say 4% for credit card processing. And then you got to have a commission split with your company. 
is it even worth doing business with them? So those are the, those are the kinds of expenses that people don't think about. Um, and they'll just throw that customer away. Now, if you can be creative and, and figure out a way to save some money on your merchant processing costs, that may open up a little bit of wiggle room to be able to get them on as a customer and actually have it be worth your time. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so our average savings is around 28%. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. It really depends on, on the business. And we go in and we look at those invoices. We go line by line. We optimize the environment. We save them as much as possible. We try to keep them with the same vendor if they want, but we also go out and we, we shop the, we, we shop it. We, we get bids for them so that, that, they see what is available in the marketplace. And it's completely up to them if they wanna make a change. We understand that there's integrations and POS systems and technology. Um, and we, we work with a client's technology uh, provider, their IT company, uh, and we help uh, with those integrations. So there's, there's, no, uh, there's no hiccup. Um, and it's a really, it's a simple process actually to work with us sometimes. It, might sound like, oh, it's going to take us a lot of time, but it's, it's actually really easy. We, we do all the work. We just collect some data and some information, and then we go ahead and, and do all the work. So it's a really big win, and, and it makes it really satisfying to, to help uh, businesses be more successful. And it's a, it's a free consult too, right? I mean, yeah. these people- That's what I was just going to ask, Nate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, any cost, any obligation to this? I mean, what does it look like? So one of our listeners owns a trucking company. Let's say they've got 10 trucks and a brokerage. What would that look like for them to engage you guys yeah. in the services? Sure, yeah, great question, Ben. Um, there's, there's absolutely uh, no upfront cost and no obligation. So we'll do the, the audit all upfront. We take all of the risk. Um, we- we, we engage, we ask for letters of authorization, so that way we can talk to um, your vendors directly on your behalf. Um, and then we collect some information. We have to ask questions about the business so that we understand it properly um, and collect invoices or we get read-only access. So read-only access just allows us to download invoices. So it's a lot, it's a, a lot less cumbersome for a business. Um, and then it takes us about four to six weeks to do the audit. And we are uh, benchmarking it against our, our database. Uh, we're going in and, and looking at, okay, what other company have we worked with at your size? How low can we get those rates? We look for billing errors and missed discounts and overpayments and getting our clients refunds. Um, and then after we're complete done with the audit, we present it to our client. They get to see everything laid out and we show the clients all of our calculations, everything that they're paying line by line. Uh, um, and then we provide recommendations. You know, here's what we were able to reduce your weight rates down to with your current vendor. Here were some billing errors you're getting refunds on. Um, here are a couple of their options. And then going forward, and that's just the beginning, going forward um, during our agreement, we actually analyze those invoices and contract dates and looking for billing errors, making sure the clients are getting the, the best deal 
we know when discounts are coming up, but we analyze those invoices um, every month for three months. So when it comes to shipping, uh, we're taking those invoices and running it through our proprietary technology and seeing if shipments were late, if they were overcharged, if they were designated for uh, residential and, and it was commercial. There's a lot of ways that, that companies are actually overpaying for things and um, and we become the vendor watchdog and 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 essentially we're like a part-time employee <laughs> that's good though so i think i think one of the big things here and we've talked about this in the past ben is a freight broker you know or anyone in this in this industry they want to focus on the logistics side because that's what they're good at and that's where they make their money so if they're if someone's wasting time on um trying to sift through their trying to shop insurance rates or trying to find their own cost savings when they're not the expert at it, they're taken away from what they do best, which is moving freight. So that's why I, I absolutely love the concept of your company and what you guys do. I think it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's the kind of stuff that's out of sight, out of mind for people for the most part, and they have no idea where they're wasting money. So um, I love it. Any, any final thoughts or how, to, as, or how does anybody get in touch with you now? Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So just a, a uh, reiterate on that. It, reducing expenses is it's our core competency. It's the it's the only thing that we do. We do it every day, all day long, working with um, the vendors and reducing expenses. So you know, if increasing your bottom line would benefit your business and our service is right for you. So the best way to get a hold of me um, is email or phone. My number phone number. 914-213-1698. You can call me directly. That's my cell phone. Um, and my email is christina.grenga at schoolymitchell.com. We'll nice make sure to leave it in the show notes too for anyone that's driving the car right now trying to trying to type that in or write down. Yeah. So <laughs> and you know what else? You know what I you know what I was thinking about, Christina, is if what would happen if your company did an audit on themselves? You guys ever thought about that? Is like a nice little uh, prank, see if they're wasting um, any money. Yeah, that's funny. So uh, they they actually do that type of thing already. Um, we we started auditing um, e signature di digital signature, and the way that we started that was because when that when the company uh, when Schoolie Mitchell decided to um, implement e signature digital signature for like our agreements or letters of authorization to make it easy for our clients we had to do all the research. So we have an entire research team and, and analysts and they did it on digital signature and then we rolled it out to our clients. So um, the first client was actually like an, an accounting firm. We saved them $12,000 a year on digital signature alone. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. Numbers. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so they do that already. <laughs> You know yeah, what this wow. reminds me a lot of is, and it goes back to that, what you had said earlier, Nate, it's, I have that guy, right? And, and we encourage that you trust my the people guy, you're man. working with, man. It's my guy. my guy. It's my insurance guy. It's who I've always used. I trust him. It, it, it's that old, I, Nate always laughs because I always have these, these old proverbs, right? This old Russian proverb of trust, <laughs> but verify, right? No one's saying you shouldn't trust them. No one's saying you shouldn't trust who you've been Wait, working with. Wait, that's Russian? It they always say that in the army. So I'm, I'm almost wondering if the, if the Russians have infiltrated. That's funny. Been, I thought Ronald Reagan said that. 
in fact, Ronald Reagan did say it many times between 84 and 87 because of Susan Massey, an American writer that introduced him to the Russian proverb from Dovere, and I should know this because everyone in my family speaks Russian but myself yet, but I'm working on it. Um, but to that old adage, do what you're good at, right? Focus on the revenues, focus on the logistics, focus on growing your businesses. If you can use resources that cost you nothing, that can be a watchdog on those expenses, there's only two ways to increase the bottom line, right? Increase on the top line and decrease in the expenses, right? That's right. And the only way we make money is if we save our clients money. So 100% of the time, our clients are actually adding profit to the bottom line. Dig it. Cool. That's phenomenal. I want to thank you for being with us. I think that's a great help. I will definitely put those in the show notes. So if anyone has any questions, we can make sure we link them directly to you. Um, really appreciate you being on. I think it really fits yeah. What, yeah. what you and I have been talking about, Nate. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Agreed. Thanks, Nate. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. All right. That was a great interview. And I think it brings up a good point, Ben, is when you look at the different models of brokering freight, which one is right for you, especially when it comes, you know, a lot of people, they start off as a W2 employee or maybe they're an agent. And they're like, I want to start my own business. And they don't think about a lot of those overhead fixed costs that go into it. So um, the article I wrote was about how much does the average freight broker earn? Um, we're going to get it tossed up and I'll have a, a new link. Um, we'll get it in the show notes on the website and all that good stuff. But here's the, the big takeaway of the article is that the W2 broker um, they, and they're, remember, they're going to roll up under a licensed broker. So these two will kind of go hand in hand when we look at cost reduction. But, you know, the, the big takeaway was the W2 broker usually makes the least because they're being paid to get trained. They're have, they have a furnished office. They're not paying for their own office space or IT. Everything is pretty much supplied for them. They just go sell and make commission off of it. So um, over, overarching theme right there is they have the least amount of risk. They have yep. the most amount of security. So they yep. tend to bring home the least amount of profit, which yes. would make sense. They're getting the smallest piece of the pie, right? Then you've got the, uh, the actual licensed broker who's got their own authority. Um, they will make, this all depends on size. But if you're, we looked at the example had the same size book of business, whether you were an employee, a licensed broker or an agent and coming in second was the licensed broker. So you can scale that and make more money with a higher volume. But if you're just a one person operation with, a, with your license and authority, you're probably going to find yourself struggling with a lot of the fixed costs and the overhead that goes along with running a brokerage, which is a lot of what Christina was hitting on. Um, and finally, the 1099 agent ended up making the most with that size book of business. But again, they, you know, they're kind of offsetting a lot of the risk in return for giving up some of their commission, but it works out with that. It was like a $2 million book of business. I think was what we were looking at. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, let's take a look at the, really the, the big expenses that you're going to see in brokerage. Um, and a lot of this will just apply to the licensed broker who's running their office. But think about this, if you're an agent or a W2 and you're considering opening your own brokerage with your own authority. Um, yep. we already, we've already talked about in the past that the downsides of having a brand new MC number and not having any, any carriers and, you know, no credit no carrier base. Like that. Mm. But, um, here's some of the expenses, right? And we'll talk about what you can actually save on and what you, you know, or, or what's just fixed. So in the article I hit on the first one is the DOT authority. You have to apply for it. I don't know anyone who's ever been able to get that fee waived. <laughs> it's yeah. like 300 bucks. 300 bucks is, is what it is. is. Yeah, you're not going to save money there, but that's a that's a small drop in the bucket because it's a one-time thing. Um, 
All right, your bond. This is a very fluid cost, right? So the bond is what people will be able to rely on if you default and stop paying your bills. They're going to go after your bond company and get their money. So bond is directly uh, tied to your credit score. Now, what happens if you don't have a credit score? I Honestly, I don't know. Maybe you can get some manual underwriting to get a bond. Um, if they look, just open your books up. Um, but this is one of those things that you want to shop around for. Okay. Um, the example I had was like anywhere from two to $10,000 annually to secure that bond. And the bond requirement right now is $75,000. It used to be 10 K years back, but, um, I'm only going to expect that to get higher, the requirement. Right. So, and, and going um, back to what you had said earlier, and you know, you and I chat about offline is like, what is a bond? And for anybody out there new to this, that's a W2, a bond really is just a company's ability to basically, um, back you as an organization. If you don't do what you said you were going to do, that bond can be called on by the person you made an obligation to and they can go and collect that. That's why it's a function of your credit. It's a function yeah. of your ability to, you know, basically make good on the promises you made in business. Yep. And um, a good example of the bond being used and a reason for it to go up is if you have carriers that are getting non-payments because you're just, I don't want to pay them for that. You know, I'm not paying this. attention or yep. whatever. And then they're, they're going to go file on your bond. And, you know, most yep. of the time, like your they're credit. just going to pay them oh, out. Oh, yep, they're going to pay it out. <laughs> and then you've got another ding on it and the price goes up. <laughs> yeah, so that's the bond. Uh, next one, and this is an also very fluid one, is insurance, right? Licensed broker needs to have general liability. Um, if you are an agent and you have a brick and mortar office, it's probably a good idea to have general liability as well in case something were to happen in your office, right? And you got to have, you know, workers comp, um, error and emissions. You think about all the different insurances that are out there. And I, I'm not an insurance expert by any means, but I've seen the different policies out there, the different costs associated. It's, it's wild. Like if you're going to add trailer interchange in there or contingent cargo, um, you know, I've seen contingent, what was it contingent uh, auto and auto liability on it for a brokerage? And I was like, what, what is this? So um, yeah, I mean, it's insane, right? You're going to see I think the article said between 1500 and three grand a year, and three grand annually. But here's the, also the other thing with insurance is it, and, and that gives me an idea. I mean, we should definitely have somebody on here probably where we can dig into what, why, and who should have what types of insurance. But this is definitely the category where you don't want to assume anything. You mm-hmm. don't want to assume that just because you have a type of insurance, it's going to cover everything you're doing. Big one, and that what jumped out at me is when you said trailer interchange, right? If you've got a truck that broke down and you're trying to cross stock this, right, or you need to literally interchange the trailer, that may not be covered under the insurance that you negotiated. And that's something that is going to happen if you're running a brokerage. A yeah. truck will break down. That will need to happen. Yep. No one likes to pay for insurance, but what insurance does is it, it offsets risk for you. So, uh, as an example, I, I was in a seminar a few years back and an insurance agent was, dis- it was a insurance broker, I believe that was shopping rates for contingent cargo and basically said, you know, Hey, with contingent cargo, you know, if your carriers, if the carrier's insurance denies a claim, it'll go to the contingent cargo policy. Now, does the contingent cargo cover everything? No. If it covered everything, literally everything, you couldn't put a price tag on it because you'd be, you'd just be asking for fraud at that point. So, even every policy is written differently to cover and omit 
certain things. So um, either way, you're going to find a, a, a safe, comfortable level for you with the insurance. But I think one of the things, and Christina kind of was alluding to it, is you need to shop that stuff like every year, right? And you don't have, you know, the people that are like, oh, that's my insurance guy. Um, I'm a fan of, you know, of having someone shop it for you. So like an insurance broker who's just like, and just like a freight broker shops carriers, yep. right? Insurance brokers will shop insurance carriers to find the best price for you and the best coverage. So, yeah. And, and I think also more importantly than cost, and I, I've got a really good guy I deal with locally. I refer to some of the companies I work with around the country is that, and, and the way he explains it is really succinct. It's like, he's like, my job is to read through all of these policies so that I can explain and make sure that what you need to be protected from, you are covered by. And what most people do, unfortunately, and we see this a lot in property and casualty, just in your automotive is people are just looking at the rate and the cost and not what they're receiving for that cost, right? The, the actual, actual protection. The important part. <laughs> right. And then they go, well, I saved so and so much money by switching cares. Well, well, yeah. Did you lose uninsured motorists? Did you lose what? Like, did you give up anything or is it an apples to apples comparison? Because if you're yeah. only looking at the number. Deductibles, all that right. stuff. So yeah. having somebody, and we talked about this earlier in, in the interview, right, Nate, is I have a guy I trust. It's important to who, that who you work with, you trust enough and explains that context of what they're actually protecting you from. Yeah. They should have the mentality of a, of a teacher really and be able to explain to you what they're doing and Ultimately, you should be the one making a decision on what you're going to purchase. So that's a good one, insurance. All right. So the next one I had on there was software. And this is going to vary, right? If you are, if you're an agent, I'm just going to say hands down, you shouldn't be paying for a TMS um, or load boards or anything like that. If you want to have your own CRM software or something like that, um, or if you, you know, your Microsoft Office package, find the stuff that's the best for you. But this is going to be more, more so on the, um, on the side of the licensed brokers got to pay for their TMS, right? This is insane. So I put in here $1,500 set up and then 500 bucks a month, month depending on features. You know what? I, I actually found out recently there are companies that charge like $10,000 to set up a TMS oh, yeah. for brokerage. Yep. Well, depends I'm on the not complexity. even talking like 50 brokers. I'm talking like if you got an office with- Info. 10 brokers or something like that, 10 grand to get set up, right? And these are the big off the shelf national TMS companies. And then they're, they're charging hourly per, for tech support. So it's like a one-time setup. And then whenever you need stuff done, they're charging per hour, like a lawyer would do. So like it's an like attorney. A, yeah, it's insane. So, um, and then you got to think like your integration with load boards, with uh, GPS tracking, you're going to pay monthly. software. Paying user. accounts payable, accounts receivable, oh like integrating yeah. that with the TMS and making sure that it does what you need it to do. And a big part of, you know, I, I one of the guys that I coach up in um, Cincinnati, has got a pretty large size brokerage. And what we do is I have the conversations about wh what do you need this to do? How are you actually operating? What problems do you need to make more efficient so that you can save as much time as possible? This isn't something that any broker wants to spend a ton of time on. You don't want right. to be digging in and having to do all of these. Like you want it to be a tool that allows you to do your job easier and more effectively, right? Yeah. Uh, th that being said, as a caveat though, there are some, some technology nerds out there. You all know who you are, that they, they're all about it. That's like the sexiest thing to them is first is, mover advantage. Leaders. Is yep. so cool. um, it's gotta be functional. And you know, if you're the one on, if you own the brokerage and you want 
a sweet IT package or a sweet TMS that just looks awesome, then that's your, you know, that's your decision. You can do that. Um, you're going to pay for it though. So here's what, here's my recommendation on, on software. Start with the minimum of what you need and go from there. Okay. Yep. You don't need bells and whistles when you're just getting started off. And at the end of the day, if you are not turning a profit, you've got to start slashing costs somewhere and bells and whistles are, you know, not a necessity. They're a want, but not a need. And you don't um, need those built in in the beginning. All that is, is a, is a bigger nut that you've got to cover every month that you want to yep. keep as low as possible. Yeah. Slow and steady. You add features in as needed as you can afford it. Yep. Um, load boards is the next one I had on there. I know I kind of already hit on it. Um, if you're an agent, you shouldn't be paying for load boards regardless, right? That's the reason you give up a big chunk of money to your brokerage is because they're going to support your back office to include your IT, i.e. load boards, DAT, truck stop, and whatever else they're using. So um, now load boards, if you're the licensed broker, yeah, you're going to, you know, they're not free. So I had an episode on the cost of load boards. Like if you look at DAT and truck stop, they've got like three different ranges. So maybe you don't need the truck stop pro. Maybe you want the basic version, which is going to save you like 50% of the cost of the, the pro version. So um, DAT, same thing. You got to look at, do you need, do you want dad express? Do you want power dad? There's, you know, there's different tiers of these load boards. Um, not every load board offers different tiers, but Hey, and the next question is, do you need all the load boards? Can you just have debt or just truck stop? You know, big question that you just hit on, right? Is that, and I think that people equate or conflate, right? Like spending more money is going to get me more results, right? Just spending more money to buy the pro version or buy the most expensive debt or truck stop, right? doesn't necessarily mean it's getting any more carriers. A lot of it is how you're using it, what, are, what the load is, what the freight is underneath it, right? How you're using that tool. Just throwing money at it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to end up with more carriers, more capacity, and more ease of use. Right. Any, any dollar you spend in, a, above your minimum requirement, it should be spent that adding value on a function that makes you more money. Adds value. That's, that's, so that's simple. It's got to add value. Yeah. yeah. I mean... I guess if you want to, if you got an office and you wanted to buy like, you know, a new garbage can because one of them cracked, it's not going to make you money, but who knows? It's yeah. <laughs> the big stuff here we're talking about. Yep. So, so cash flow, next one. This oh is a big my one. God. This is a tough one because there's no easy answer here. All right. So the cost of cash flow when you're running your own business, your own brokerage, most people just factor it and they're going to pay slow? a pr- before we jump into that, I just wanted to add some color because I've gotten a few questions about this. Like, what is cash flow? Cash flow is you book a load, right? The, the carrier takes the load. The end of the week, typically within a few days, you're going to pay that carrier. Now, you've got to float the difference between the money you're paying your carrier on a shorter time frame than the longer time frame you're giving to your shippers to pay their bills, which are typically 30, 45, 60 days, right? Larger the company, larger the terms. That timing difference is the cash flow need. The bigger yep. your company is, the more business you're doing, the larger that number gets. Yeah. So the um, and this is, I mean, you, you mentioned paying within a few days. The that's a, the quick pay is a very common way, and a lot of carriers take that. Um, the average days to pay, I think, is around thirty ac- across the board for brokerages. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see some that pay in 21, some that pay in 35, um, but customers are paying slower than that. That's the, that's the main point here is that's that, and, yep. and customers go out of business, right? So if a customer oh, yeah. pay, you still got to pay the truck. <laughs> you yep. hired them. So yeah, the whole point of cash flow is you got to be able to, ha- you have to have enough money to support 
your operation of paying somebody to do a job before you get paid by your customer. So now here's where the cost comes in. You either have to have the money in the bank liquid that you can actually use to do this, or you have to use a factoring company, which essentially you're selling your receivables at a cost to be able yep. to pay somebody you're to cash flow a, it you're, for you. You're paying a percentage point typically on it and a percentage yep. on the float until it gets paid off. So, and you'll see all different costs associated and they offer different things and they may want you to be exclusive with them or have 100% of their invoices done to them. The average is about three and a half percent. And that's off of your top line revenue from your customer. That's not your profit. Right. Well, we talked about earlier, right? Merchant processing fees and and the interview in regards to losing sometimes 3% off gross, you lose another two, 3% factoring company, you're six, 7% off your top line before that even runs through your expenses. So you're yeah. only getting 93%, 92% of your money sometimes before you even start to pay the bills that you've got to pay as a broker. Yep. Now, now here's where it gets tricky. So the, and it all depends on the industry, but the, the average cash flow, you can call it retained earnings. That's like the, the accounting term to be able to have retained earnings to operate your business, right? When you've got a gap, um, they usually will say like three months worth of mm-hmm. top line, which in, in the example I use, if you're doing a $2 million top line, that's a half a million dollars you've got to have in liquid cash. If I had a half a million dollars in liquid cash as a licensed freight broker, um, you know, I am I going to want to just have it sit there and make no money on it? You know, it's kind of a, it's such a strange, it's a weird animal. So, so yeah, everyone has half a million dollars just lying around to open a broker. No. And, so. and one of the values of, and, and this is another way, I mean, speak to, I, I would speak to my local small business banker first here, talk to them, ask them about working capital lines of credit. That's a great way to fund these. They typically need to be secured by something, whether it's either the building you own for smaller brokerages, it's probably going to be your personal residence. So it's one way that you could lean some of these lines of credit that get you access to capital with maybe not having to go down the traditional route because whatever that number is, if you're moving in the right direction and you're growing as a broker, right? If you go from 10 loads to 20 loads a week and they're all about the same price, the same rate, right? We'll just call them coast to coast, five grand a load, right? You're doing 10 one week. Now you've gotten a larger customer, you're doing 20 a week, that number doubled. That, that cash flow need doubled. And then yep. it, it goes on and on and on. I mean, I remember at one point, especially during one of the really tight spring seasons, I think we were putting my lines of credit and I worked with a large brokerage were about two and a half million dollars and they were fully extended over 60 day periods. Now, everybody looks at the number and they go, well, you know, I'm only keeping 13 and a half percent or 20% or whatever it is. I want a bigger share of this pie. What they're not taking into account is the company they're working for is floating millions of dollars in some cases to cover that. That's a large risk, right? Yeah. I mean, one shipper doesn't pay their bill or goes bankrupt and that goes to court. Yeah, you might get paid a few years down the line, but what do you do with all the rest of your business? Another yeah, big risk. And that's precisely why you're never going to hear a story about me putting a mortgage on my house to have a business line of credit. So <laughs> More common <laughs> hey, than they are. Right. You're right. Absolutely. People, people have to, if they're going to take out a line of, or get a line of credit or take out a, a loan from a bank to operate their business, if it's got to be secured, that's the biggest asset their that asset. most people own. Absolutely. So, yeah. So keep that in mind. Cash flow. Ooh, that's a, that's a, a tough one there. Next is wages, all right? And I've talked about hiring in the past and we can, we're gonna 
have a lot more discussions about hiring and growing your, your agency or your brokerage in the future. But this is a big, a big one here. It's a big waste a lot of times. If somebody, somebody thinks they need to hire to make more money when they're not even maxed out themselves. So my thought is yep. you shouldn't be spending a penny to hire anybody until you are fully tapped out and you can't do it anymore yourself. Plus, when you're about to hire somebody, they better be, that better result in you doing more business, right? They gotta, there's got to be a break-even point there. So, yep. And, and know it, what that is. Be, you can hire somebody super, super part-time to do 10 hours of work a week for you. And maybe they're doing, excuse me, maybe they're doing some like administrative stuff or just some check calls, whatever it is, because that's going to free up more time for you to be able to go sell more and get more freight. And I think biggest, biggest point you made there, Nate, is look down at where your time is going. One of the big things I, I do with a lot of the clients that we coach is, it's just a super simple thing that everybody can do. Write down, we'll call it a time awareness log, what you're doing throughout the day for two weeks. And I mean everything from when you start your day, the paperwork you did, the loads you covered, the amount of phone calls you made, and then objectively look at what you could still do within there. And maybe the answer is nothing. And maybe, hey, two weeks goes by and you're like, I can't fit anything more in there. And maybe you're working 11, 12 hours a day. At that point, you're probably looking at, okay, now we need to bring somebody in a support role because somebody, whether it's you or you and two people or you and 20 people need to be prospecting. Somebody should be moving that needle forward. And there's always this sliding scale of when do you need support to be able to continue to be doing that prospecting and those business development activities? Because no matter how big you are in this industry, there's always a chance that that shipper stops using you, goes out of business, gets acquired, buys their own trucks. Yeah. A a plethora of issues that could lead to you losing the customers and And, your income source. And and don't, yeah. And don't outsource your sales to a, to an employee. Number one. Absolutely. (laughs) Love that episode. The last thing anybody wants to do is outsource the job and we get it. We understand people don't like to cold call. You want to avoid the rejection in your mind is that's the first job you want to outsource. The reality of it is, is this is, this is your livelihood. This is what is going to yeah. feed either you or you and your family. You do not want to outsource the most important role in that company. Well, so the, the overall, oh, it's great. So <laughs> I think my, what did I come up with here in the article? The licensed broker, if they did a $2 million top line sales with 17.5% margin, after all the fees um, they made, where is it? Two fifteen. $215,600 off of 2 million. Now, what yep. did my agent make? I forget. It's probably the agent last one. Here. On here. Yeah, the agent it. made 245,000. So they made more. Yeah. Yep. Um, Cause they're not dealing with overhead. Now, of course, or the if, risk or the, that's risk. the other thing, right? Like the risk of this, and this is common, right? We're in an industry that has probably some of the highest turnover of any other industry, right? Even in a good hire, typically doesn't last more than two or three years. That's a cost. That's something the 1099 agent doesn't run into as much as the licensed broker. Right. But if you can scale the licensed brokerage, that's where you're going to do well. So there's, there's, I always say like, if you are, if you're like 10 million a year in top line, depending on your margin, cause you got to have a healthy margin too, to operate. Um, that's when you may want to entertain the idea of going that route. But that also, you know, you got to ask yourself the question of, do I want to deal with all the back office work? Do I want to do my billing? Do I want to deal with claims myself? Do I want to have to run an office? So yep. 
it's all, it's all questions that are, you know, and to, to be considered. And to any of all these questions, I mean, you can definitely check us out on our website at midnightfreightbroker.com. You can either sign up for the newsletter or just send us a question through it. Um, and if any of you would like to have, jump on a discussion with either Nate or I and you're, hey, you're on the fence between any of these three categories or you're in one looking to move to the next and you wanted to chat, you know, feel free to reach out to us. We'll see if we can schedule a call with you guys. We'd be more than happy to walk you through the insight that maybe we could provide and at least highlight the risks to make sure you're making a fully informed decision before you make that jump. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. All right. So speaking of questions, let's get into um, some, some final questions here from social media. Maybe so these, these are good, good ones, Nate. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to these. So first is from uh, Ziad. Ziad says, I have an asset MC authority right now. Can I get a broker authority and be dual authority? So yes, you can. Now, let me tell you this. There are two different ways. If you want to be a broker and a carrier, there's two ways you can do it. You can have dual authority where literally it's the same MC, or you can change the name of your asset company and operate as sister companies with different MC numbers. And the reason people will do that is that when an insurance company looks at the liability of a, let's say you're a $200 million brokerage and you only do, you know, a million dollars in on the asset side, right? But they want to give you insurance for your asset company. They're going to say, well, you're a $201 million company versus no, this company is only a million and this company is 200 million and one has assets and one's just a brokerage. That's why a lot of times you'll see brokers and carriers that, that do both they'll have a different MC number of different name. Um, yes, that they might be owned by the same parent company or whatever, or, you know, it is what it is, right? I've seen it many, many times. Um, they'll change the name to lower the exposure on an uh, actuarial table or point of view for an insurance person. So, uh, yeah. Same thing, understanding your risk, right? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Having the assets, most shippers prefer to be dealing with an asset-based company. That's just typically how the procurement rules are set up or their standard operating procedures. That doesn't mean they don't work with brokers. So a lot of people, they're inclined to saying, hey, like we at least want to own a few trucks so that we can at least promote the fact that we're an asset-based carrier. But just like everything else, understand the context, understand the risks you have, because if you've got assets, those are underlying it's an underlying risk for the freight and the obligations you're making out there and the liabilities you could run into. Yep. Absolutely. Big thing on risk today, man. Love it. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Josh asked uh, about paying detention without having in and out times on a POD. So um, I, here's, here's an example of how that would happen. So a carrier says I had to sit there for four hours, you know, and I'm owed detention now, but the POD or BOL or whatever paperwork that they're using doesn't have times documented. So I think paperwork is going to be a key determining factor in whether or not someone gets paid for something. Always. If you're a carrier, it's a super ask, gray area. just walk over and say, Hey, you mind signing this? Can you just give me a job? There's usually a guy at the dock. There's usually a guy in the yard. Very few and far between have I run into shippers that aren't willing to mark the check-in and check-out times. Yeah, exactly. And then at the same time, as a broker, let's say you have a carrier that you use often and they didn't have in and out times. If you can, if you can swing it and keep them happy, I would just pay them. 
You know, it's not like, you know, the tension for an, an hour or two is not going to break the bank for you if it's no. a good repeat carrier and a good customer. And do the uh, right thing, like you said. Yeah. Do the right thing. These, these people are out there trying to earn a living. They don't want to be waiting there. It, it, things happen. Shippers get delayed. Other trucks get stuck getting in and out. I, I mean, it's just part of the industry. Yep. And solely looking at the number and how you can increase your margin is a good way to destroy relationships with carriers that take a long time to build. Yeah. So, and I would say this too, is if the customer is the one that's actually willing to pay detention based on the facilities and delays, but if they might say, well, I need in and out times. Yep to be able to justify this on my end, let your driver know that. Like that's, that's going to be upfront, especially yep. if you've got a shipper that runs into detention, have that ironed out with your customer. Hey, you know, this has happened a few times. You shouldn't be eating that cost as a broker either. In fact, the reason the cost should go back to the shipper is they should be incentivized to avoid that cost by running efficiently to getting the trucks loaded. When they yep. don't have the risk of paying detention, then they don't have any reason to move any faster you want that cost in the transaction with your customer so that, like you said, they're incentivized to do the right thing to get these guys back on the road where they're actually earning money. Absolutely. All right. Final question. What to do when you've caught a carrier double brokering? This is a hot one, man, because this happens. I like this um, one. Now, let's clarify. Is it a carrier double or brokering a brokering versus co-brokering? So, a co-broker is when you have a broker that gives a load to another broker and it's on paper, it's agreed to, there's no misunderstanding of who's doing what, everyone's got visibility on it, all good. Double brokering is when a broker secretly gives one of their loads to another broker because they didn't cover it themselves or they, you know, for whatever reason. Or yeah. a carrier that doesn't even have brokerage authority gives it to somebody else illegally. That would be an illegal version of doing it. Um, double brokering when it's broker to broker without somebody knowing about it. It's not technically illegal if you have the authority to do it. It's just very, very frowned upon in the industry. So it's usually uh, within, and to that, it's usually within your contract. So if you've got guaranteed or you've got some contract freight, it's usually spelled out specifically in there that if you're an asset company, they want your assets to pick up these loads. If you don't yeah. have assets, they want you to give the load back. The reality of the industry is to support the longer contracts, a lot of these companies are trying to grow, push the limits. You want to support more of the business to grow trucks break down, you need some of that flexibility. That's why you should be, if you are a large trucking company, if you don't have a brokerage division, you should be working with some type of brokerage division. That's really how you can pro provide higher on time percentages, higher fluidity of service back to the shippers. And, I, and Nate and I talked about this offline is where that line is, is where you ethical about it. And you yep. can say to yourself with a straight face that everybody was honest in the transaction it's perfectly acceptable. If you're yeah, hiding if you're, this intentionally. Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. If, if there's any kind of intent to deceive or hide something, you're, you've crossed the line. That's where the line is drawn. So yep. uh, ways to kind of notice this in the industry. So um, if you have a good relationship with you, with the receiver or the shipper, you know, you could just, Hey, what What's truck came in? Like I What's heard the MC like, on the side of the truck. Yes, That's all you got to ask. Yep. MC exactly. should be on the side of the truck. Who, who picked this load up? Who dropped it off? You can get yep. back on your phone with a broker and ask him like, hey, who was the carrier that was supposed to pick up this load? Read me off the MC. Did it match? You can find out very quickly. Yep. Uh, and that's an easy way to, 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 I guess, call out or present this case to the carrier that it's happened. It ends up, that's a 
awkward conversation because they're going to deny it most times when you first bring it up like, no, we didn't double broker it. Um, it's like, Hey man, like we, you know, not only did the carrier or did the shipper and receiver see a different truck show up there. Uh, but all also, by the way, the carrier gave it to, they accidentally invoiced us because they ended up figuring out that it was double brokered, yada, yada. Um, and that stuff happens more often than not. And they just want to get paid. It's what comes and out. Of they they want to get paid. But you brought up something else too. Like, why is this an issue? And why does anybody have an issue with it is because a, a broker should be vetting the carrier's insurance before they're picking up the load. That is all the way down to when it expires, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody that's been in this industry more than a year has had a load picked up by a carrier whose insurance looked like it expired while the load was over the road. Usually you call and you vet that and you make sure that's okay. The point of that is, is if a carrier or a dispatcher sends another carrier, or another broker, another truck, I mean, to pick up your load, you have no idea if that insurance is valid. No clue. You don't have any clue if there's insurance at all. And now you're liable for the load you took from your shipper and you've got what could be an uninsured carrier just running down the road with it. Yep. So the, um, to answer Jordan's question, what do you do? Um, I would remove the original carrier and directly pay the one who actually hauled it for you. Yep. And I would blacklist that first carrier, never use them again. Um, that's simple. I would say, hey, who actually picked and delivered this? I'm going to pay you directly. So invoice me and I will pay you. And the other guy is SOL because he made a bad decision. So that's my 100%. thoughts. It was a great episode. Good topics today. Yeah, man. You got any uh, final thoughts? I'm just excited for golf this weekend. Yeah, of course you are. (laughs) Well, cool. So um, that's all I got. That's all you've got. That's all we've got. We'll uh, see you guys on the next episode. Until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Thanks for joining and make sure to leave a review and check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that I referenced on this episode and feel free to add and message me on LinkedIn for suggestions for future topics. See you on the next episode. Waiting for you to say Gold Steelers one of these times.